Amen. In your Bible tonight, Revelation chapter 3, and we're coming now to the church at Philadelphia. The church at Philadelphia, six of seven churches. Just to kind of give you an idea, we are preaching through the book of Revelation. And when you come to the first chapter of Revelation, you have a vision that God gives John to write and tell. And it's a vision of Christ, and we've talked about that. And it's a, it gives us some insight into the Lord. And then we come to the second little part here in chapters 2 and 3, and we have messages to the seven churches in Asia. And the messages to the seven churches in Asia are so profound and important. I thoroughly enjoy preaching on these churches. And the, the fact is, in chapters 2 and 3 are really the portion of the book of Revelation that is directly dealing with the moments in which we're dealing with today. And so much that these churches are going through and dealing with and we're talking about these churches are, are so familiar and some of the, the things that are going on in churches now and here, it's important. We study these churches and these are the things that are. When we look at the churches and the, God's message to the churches in chapters 2 and 3 of the book of Revelation, these are the things that are right now and currently. When we finish these churches, uh, Lord willing, not next week but the following, we'll begin to dig into uh, the things that will be, and so we're looking in the future, the things that will be, and uh, I'm excited about looking and studying and preaching there. I'm going to preach tonight from the church at Philadelphia. The word Philadelphia, now just so you know, this, is, this, uh, this church was not located where the Jets play, uh, but the, uh, Philadelphia, it was a city uh, in Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey, in that part of the world, Philadelphia. And uh, the word Philadelphia literally means, uh, is it, no, it's New York Jets. <laughs> what is, the, Eagles. See how much I know. You'd think I was praying for them. I mess up prayer requests all the time. But at uh, any rate, uh, uh, <laughs> the church at Philadelphia, uh, we're going to just forget all the football references and just go straight here. Uh, I was going to talk about a football jersey later. I don't know if I will or not. I may be scared now. But anyway, the church at Philadelphia, the word Philadelphia, uh, it means brotherly love, and we're familiar with that. And uh, the church at Philadelphia was an interesting church, one of two churches that the Lord doesn't say anything bad about them. And uh, the Bible says that the church at Philadelphia was a church with an open door. And I'm going to talk to you about that. Uh, some folks have the wrong idea about what the open door was, but I'm looking forward to sharing with you a message on the Church of Philadelphia. Today's, tonight's title is this, Philadelphia, the Church with an Open Door. And let's read together God's Word, Revelation chapter 3, and we'll begin reading in verse number 7. Revelation 3, verse number 7. The Bible says, And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things saith he that is holy, he that is true, he that hath the key of David, he that openeth and no man shutteth, and shutteth and no man openeth. I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it. For thou hast a little strength, and hast kept my word, and hast not denied my name. Behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan, which say they are Jews and are not, but do lie, behold, I will make them to come and worship before thy feet and to know that I have loved thee. Because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation, which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. Behold, I come quickly. 
Hold that fast which thou hast, that no man take thy crown. Him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God. And he shall go no more out, and I will write upon him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven from my God. And I will write upon him my new name. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. The Bible says in verse 7, To the angel of the church in Philadelphia write. And then look with me in verse number 8. Verse number 8. God says, I know thy works, church at Philadelphia. Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it. Now, we're looking at this church of Philadelphia, the church of brotherly love, the church that was rich in love, and we have this church. The Bible says that this was a church that God had given an open door. Uh, we meet, uh, and, and I've met folks that attend churches called the church of the open door. I, I mean, if you've ever seen a sign, the church of the open door. Now, when I first hear that, the church of the open door, I'm like, that's really nice that they welcome people there. By the way, all of our churches should be churches with an open door that folks are welcome to attend. We welcome folks to our church. It grieves my heart when some folks get in their mind somehow that they uh, need, they can't come to our church. And you make sure you're not one of those snot-nosed Christians that makes people feel like they can't be good enough to go to your church. And you be the kind of Christian that's faithfully inviting people to attend your church. And you be the kind of Christian when you see folks you don't know that you graciously greet them and welcome and love them and help them. Uh, the church, the open door. But when the Bible says that the church of Philadelphia had an open door, it wasn't that they were all so welcoming. I'm sure they were. But the church, the open door, was a church that had opportunity, evangelistic opportunity. When you look at uh, Paul's writings throughout the New Testament, on numerous occasions, just some verses you might want to write down. 1 Corinthians 16, 9. 2 Corinthians 2, 12. Colossians 4, 3. These are all references of times where uh, the Bible talks about an open door. If you remember, I think it was in 1 Corinthians 16, 9 that, uh, that Paul said, a great door and effectual has been opened unto me. And then he says, and there are many adversaries. But when he talked about a great door being open to him, it was an opportunity. It was a, a, a chance to see God do God's work among God's people. And that work is the work of saving souls. Jesus said, I've come that they might have life. He wants the dead and trespasses and sins to have life, eternal life through faith in Christ. I've come that they might have life, they might have it more abundantly. And God wants save people to have abundant life while they live. And so the Lord said to the church at Philadelphia, you have an open door. You have an opportunity. You have a window that you can serve God, that God's going to do his work, a purpose and a reason to serve. And God's promised that the opportunity, the door is open. Now, I think that's wonderful that God has said to this church that you have an open door. You have an open opportunity. You have a window of time where you can see God do great works. The question is, has God opened a door to the Ohio Baptist Church? The answer to that question is absolutely, teetotally, yes. God opens the door. I love this next phrase, verse 8. I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it. You know what I hear all the time? I hear all kinds of excuses why God can't work in 2023 like God worked in 1965. 
If you're one of those people, you need to know something that God is the door opener and man is not the door shutter. And God can work today like he's always worked. And we need to preach the gospel in faith. You ever wonder what that means? To preach the gospel in faith, to preach the word in faith. We need to emphasize the Bible in faith. What's it mean to preach in faith? It means you say it and believe that God can do what he said he's going to do. I meet lots of Christians who think God did something one time but can't do it anymore. Oh, the devil knows it got you by the throat. And I want you to know something. The church of Philadelphia was a church, and you're going to see something that's really awesome about the church of Philadelphia that can be emulated and patterned and redone and done again right now, right here at Chai Baptist Church. When a great door is open, I've set before you a door. I've set before you an open door, and no man can shut it. Let's stop making excuses why God can't save our families. Let's stop making excuses why God can't bring revival to a community. Let's stop making excuses why God can't revive dead churches. And let's remember something, that God is the door opener. And no man can shut it. I'm thankful that we have the opportunity to function as a New Testament, Bible-believing, Christ-honoring church in a moment where the door is open. The opportunity to see folks saved and God do his work is right now. It's exciting. Philadelphia, it was the church with an open door. Let's consider a few things. Number one, their God. Their God. Why in the world can we boldly believe that God can do great things right now? Why can we boldly believe that people can be saved? Why can we boldly believe that families can be rescued? Why can we boldly believe that God can change the course of people's lives I'll tell you why we believe that God, that why that can happen. We believe that that can happen because God can do the work and wants to do it and will do the work. We have to trust in God. So their God, the, the key to the church at Philadelphia and any church that's going to see God lead them through a door of opportunity to see lives changed, the key to that is their God is our God, God is on the throne. He's powerful. Now the Bible says of God in chapter in verse number 7, and to the angel of the church of Philadelphia write, these things saith he that is holy. Folks, God is holy. Now you know something? God doesn't do holy things occasionally. You know, we have that type of nature. Occasionally we'll do something holy, and the next thing you know we'll do something that's not holy. How many of you have ever been there before? But something wonderful about God is God is holy. He is absolutely, consistently, all the time, holy. God's holy. I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful God is holy. And God, when he says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just forgives our sins, he's holy. He's going to keep his word. When the Bible says that whosoever shall call in the name of the Lord shall be saved, God's going to keep his word. He's holy. He's always holy. He's never not holy. God, the Bible says, is holy. The Bible says, these things said he that is holy. He that is true. You see that word true? I'm glad that God is true. There's two Greek words for true. One is true as opposed to false. True and false. The other Greek word is true as opposed to fake. And I want you to know something. God is true and not fake. You meet folks in this world that worship and serve a fake God. 
But the God of the Bible is not fake. He's true. And he's truly working in our lives. You have moments where you think, my, Lance, I don't know if God's true or not. You remember something. God is true. And God, true, holy God, is a God that can intervene in your time of great need. You believe him. You trust him. You go to him. You lean on him. He's given us a great door, an opportunity. Their God was holy and true. The Bible continues in verse number 7. He that is holy, he that is true, he that hath the key of David. The key of David. Uh, the, the key word, the key of David, is the word key. Key. I, I remember when I first went off to college, I, was, uh, uh, I began to work in maintenance at the Temple Baptist Church. I learned a whole lot working maintenance at Temple Baptist Church. I used to know how many toilets there were at Temple Baptist Church in Crown College. It was up in the hundreds and uh, hundreds and hundreds of toilets. And uh, I, I remember working, and I loved that. I learned so much. And I'd get into stuff and fix stuff and work on stuff. And I remember thinking when I first started working uh, on uh, work scholarship at Crown College of Temple Baptist Church, I thought, man, it would be really cool to have keys to all these buildings. And it would be awesome. I just thought, man, if I had me a big ring of keys, that'd be really something. And, you know, when you had keys, you felt like you had some authority. And uh, it wasn't long. They gave me keys because I was like, this guy's a sucker. He'll come and lock up late at night. He'll come and open up early in the morning. If something's broke, he's a sucker. He'll go fix it in the middle of the night. We'll give him all the keys he wants. And I got keys. And I remember when I had my keys to the church, I thought, man, this is great. It was a treasure because it was something of, a, it was some authority. It was some access. It was, uh, it was a, an inside thing. And so uh, the Bible says, we talk about the key of David. The Bible says that the Lord has, he hath the key of David. The Lord has authority that far supersedes David. You remember something about David. David is the king of Israel. He could welcome who he wanted to. He could dismiss who he wanted to. And I want you to know something. God has authority as more than David, the key of David. He has access and he welcomes people. And God can do a work in welcoming folks into the family of God that only God can do. God is the saver of souls. He has the key of David. He has authority. He has access. He has control. You remember something. Who can give me access to heaven? God can. Who can give my lost loved one that we've been praying for for years access to the glory of God in heaven? God can. We can trust him. He's got the key of David. He's got access. The Bible says and continues in verse 7, He that openeth and no man shutteth, and shutteth and no man openeth. In verse number 8, the next verse, we're going to see that the Bible says that, that he's uh, opened a door and no man can shut it. But he's emphasizing here that our God, there, and, and the, mess, the title of the first point is their God. He said, look, Church of Philadelphia, your God has the power. When he opens something, nobody can close it. And when he opens something, nobody can close it. When he shuts something, nobody can open it. And God has that authority, such final authority. And we are not to be worried about that when we're the children. We're to rest in the fact that God has power. And when he opens that door, we have the opportunity and promise that we can go through it. Their God, the church at Philadelphia, they were to be encouraged by the power and might and the glory of their God, number one. Number two, their 
good. They're good. Now, the Bible says some really nice things about the church at Philadelphia. When I think about a church that God has nothing bad to say about, when I said, then they weren't perfect. But when I think about a church that God has nothing to say bad about, and this was the church that God said, thumbs up, y'all are great. Keep up the good work. You have, uh, you're having emphasis that's going to open up the opportunity for people to be saved. When I see that and I think about the church of Philadelphia, I'm like, man, we need to emulate what they have. Maybe they've got some deep, dark secret to the power and blessing of God on the church. Maybe this is the verses of Scripture that will open up to us the idea and the programs that we need to start in order to build a great church. And if you're looking for some secret sauce in verse at number 8 or some secret sauce to a church that's going to see people saved for the glory of God, you're not going to find something that's new. You're going to find something that needs to be over and that needs to be emphasized over and over and over again. Look what the Bible says, verse 8. He says, I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it. Four. Why did God give him this great opportunity? Because four, thou hast a little strength. The first thing is, their strength was just little. They weren't weaklings, but they had just a little strength. And you know what happens when you have little, just a little strength? You have to depend on someone who has a lot of strength. A little strength requires dependency on someone with a lot of strength. And you know what this church had become? They had become aware of the fact that they couldn't do it on their own, and they had to have God. They had to have God. I want God to protect me. I don't want to become so sound in my own mind and my own abilities that I think somehow foolishly that I can do it on my own. I need the Lord. I need the Lord. I remember uh, one time I got up to sing at Temple Baptist. I'm thinking about Temple tonight quite a bit and thinking about Pastor Sexton. I got up to sing one night and... uh, the first few times I sang at Temple Baptist Church, I didn't miss a beat. I mean, I got up there and let her rip tater chip. It was great. It was awesome. One of the first times I sang, uh, I sang a big song at Bible conference. And my Uncle Cecil and Arlen were both there. They came to visit me and Justin. And I was so excited to sing in that, uh, in that church with my Uncle Cecil and Uncle Arlen there. And I got up to sing, and I let her rip. I didn't miss a beat. And uh, Uncle Cecil, if you do him, you, this, won't, this won't surprise you. He stood up. He said, way to go, boy. I didn't know you had it in you. Praise the <laughs> Lord. I loved it. It was sweet. I, I didn't miss a, a note. I didn't miss a pitch. I let her rip. And it was awesome. But it wasn't long after that that I got up to sing in church one time, and I absolutely, teetotally blew it. I mean, blew it bad. And I remember after I blew it, coming off the platform and having to process that in my mind, thinking, how in the world am I going to face these people uh, again? And I remember the Lord just prompting my heart and reminding me. He said, look, buddy, you're not singing for me because you're awesome. You're singing for me because I'm awesome. And I remember... When folks come up to me, and the worst part about blowing it when you sing a song around loving people is everybody come and pat you and pat you. Oh, that wasn't so bad. And I'm like, you're lying. Now you're lying. It wasn't so bad. And, uh, what, or, and you know, your honest friends, they look at you like, what happened? And, uh, and I remember the Lord put this in my heart. I said, you know, 
I hate I messed up. I'm going to try not to ever do that again. But the Lord knows how to keep you singing and doing things for the right reason. And uh, when we think we're so good, you know, we're not. And so the church of Philadelphia, they had this characteristic that they, look, they said, look, we have confidence in God and God's word, and we've got a little strength, and we've been studying, and we've been working, and we've been giving our best shot, but we've just got a little strength, and our little strength has to be sub- supplemented by the God of all strength, and we've got to trust him. And folks, the key to having a church that has an open door uh, a, a window of opportunity to see God do a great work is we have to come into this thing knowing that what strength we have has to be yielded to the Lord and what strength we have has to be supplemented by the power of God because the best power we have to offer is just to show we've got to have God. And I want Him. I want Him. The church of Philadelphia, God said, you're good. Here's your goodness. Here's what I want to commend you on. And it's not because you're awesome. I want to commend you because you have little strength. You have strength. The things you do, you're trying your best. You're giving it all you got. But you have little strength. It depends on me. I've told someone this week, trying to encourage them in a tough time. I said, said, here's the truth. I said, we have to work like it all depends on us. But we have to pray And trust like it all depends on God. Because we have to have him. Their good was a little strength. It keeps going. Verse number 8. The Bible says, I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door. And no man can shut it. For thou hast a little strength. And hast kept my word. That's so important. You know what this church was doing? And I don't know that it was little. But you know what this church was doing? They were... Depending on the Lord for strength. And they were keeping God's word. Keeping God's word. You've kept my word. The emphasis in this church where there was an open door. A chance to change lives for eternity. The glory of God. The key was they're keeping the word. They're keeping the word. Hey, it is so important that God's word is foremost and front in the things that we do. We've got to keep on preaching and teaching and applying God's word to our lives. The word is the key. The word is the key. I watch people have, and, I, and I'm not criticizing churches because we mess up too, but I watch churches who have big uh, events and big things, but God's word is nowhere to be seen. God's word is of utmost importance. We must keep his word. He says, what I want to commend you of is a little strength. Thou hast kept my word. And look what it says next. Verse number 8. And, see here, verse number 8. And hast not denied my name. What is it? I mean, this seems so simple. But they are preaching, keeping the word of God. They're, they're, they're keeping the word of God. And they're not denying The name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I talked to a man this week. I was talking about interviewing a pastor. And uh, you'd think that surely a man that wanted to be a pastor of a church would believe that the Bible was the word of God and Jesus was the only Savior. But I'm here to tell you, that's not always the case. And I was talking to this man about interviewing a pastor for their church. And I said, now look, there's lots of doctrinal details that I'd be interested in to know if a man 
believed it or not, but I told him, I said, here's the thing. If I were going to ask, uh, if I had two questions I could ask a man that was interviewing to be a pastor of a church, the first question I would ask is pretty simple. Do you believe that the Bible is the inerrant, inspired, infallible Word of God? Do you believe that the Bible is the Word of God? And if he doesn't give me a resounding, clear, absolutely, teetotally, yes, you're out of here, buddy. And the second thing that I'd ask, do you believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross, was buried, and died, and three days later rose from the dead in order to offer salvation to all men who are sinners? Do you believe that Jesus is the only way of salvation, eternal salvation. And if the answer is not absolutely, teetotally yes, you're out of here, buddy. And the thing about the church at Philadelphia was the church at Philadelphia had not come up with some new great idea. They didn't have the amazing skills of organization and keeping the upset people at bay. The thing they had going for them was they still preached and believed that the Bible was the Word of God and Jesus was the only Savior. And because of those two things and the fact that they were little in strength and dependent on the Lord, because of those things, God said, hey, look, I'm going to open up a door wide open for y'all because you all have chosen the thing that changes people's lives. Praise the Lord. They're good. You have not denied my name. It breaks my heart to say that it's true. There are many folks who call themselves Christians and churches who call themselves Christian who do not believe that the Bible is the Word of God. They say things like, well, we believe that the Bible contains the Word of God. Well, who are you to choose and pick? Who gave you that authority? We believe the Bible contains the Word. And there are also churches who call themselves Christian, who believe that there are other ways to heaven than the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's a sad thing. But I'll tell you something. God has said churches who will preach the word of God and hold fast my name, I'm going to open up an opportunity for them to see lives change for the glory of God. I'm thankful. I want to be like a church at Philadelphia. They're good, number two. Finally, they're gain, number three. They're gain. The Bible says and gives us all kinds of great benefits. There was all kinds of benefits to being in a church like Philadelphia. The Bible says in verse number nine, he says, because thou hast kept the word of my patience. Because you've kept the word faithfully. He said, because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation. Most people believe, most Bible students believe the hour of temptation it refers to the tribulation period. We'll talk more about it. And I believe that. That's the way I, that's the way I lean. And so the Bible says that, I'm going to, says because of the work of the word of God, and that's what it takes, the work of the word of God make us wise unto salvation. It's what gives us everlasting life. It's what protects us and prevents us from having to go through the tribulation because we'll be raptured out of here when Jesus comes for his church it's that that keeps us from the hour of temptation the tribulation the Bible says which shall come upon all the world 
to try them that dwell upon the earth. That little phrase, dwell upon the earth, you'll see it again. Those that dwell upon the earth is a reference to the lost. People have not put their trust in Jesus. Dwell upon the earth. The Bible says in verse, so their gain, the first thing is, you're not going to go through the tribulation. You'll be raptured out of here. Hallelujah. That's a benefit. Praise the Lord. You know what we need to do? We need to be working to make people rapture ready. How do we make people rapture ready? We preach the word of God and exalt the name of Jesus. And when we do that, people realize they're sinners on their way to hell and they repent of their sin and trust in Jesus, the only Savior. Hallelujah. He says, you're game? I'm going to help you. I'm going to make you rapture ready. I think I jumped ahead. Uh, see, but, uh, verse number 9, back up to verse number 9. Uh, Verse number 9, their gain. Here's another benefit and perk. He says, Behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan, which say they are Jews and are not, but do lie. Behold, I will make them to come and worship before thy feet and to know that I have loved them, that I have loved thee. Now, this is interesting. So the first long half of this verse is describing a group of people. Uh, the synagogue of Satan. We've seen this one other time. We saw it in the last chapter. The synagogue of Satan was a group of people who called themselves Jews that were ruling in the synagogue and were persecuting Christians and were denying God, the God of the Bible. The synagogue of Satan, which say they are Jews and are not, but do lie. Here's what he says. Behold, I will make them to come and worship before thy feet. Now, this is fascinating to me. So, to this group, this church of Philadelphia, their great burden was their fellow Jews who were denying Christ, denying God, ruling in the synagogue. Most likely, the folks, the Jews that were ruling in the synagogue that God now had called the synagogue of Satan, most likely those folks were persecuting the church of Philadelphia. Most likely those folks had kicked the Christians out of the synagogue. Most likely those were the folks that were denying that Jesus was the Messiah. He said, those Jewish people who are of the synagogue of Satan that say they're Jews but are not. They don't have the spirit of Father Abraham. They don't have the spirit of Jehovah God that lie. He said, them, those folks, he says, listen, I want to encourage you. I will make them to come and worship before thy feet. The first thought I have when I hear, is when I hear this, this group of people who are persecuting the church, he says, I'll make them come and worship before thy feet. The first thing I think is, <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> I see you worshiping my feet. I told you I was right. <laughs> I really don't think that's what God wants us to see there. Now, I will say this, that for all of eternity, the Christ deniers will know that they were wrong. But Christian people should not revel in glory in the fact there's coming a day when all those Jesus deniers will know I was right. That's not the spirit of Christ. This is something that I think is exciting for a church with an open door. The Lord said, I'm going to make those folks that are of the synagogue of Satan the most vehement deniers of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to make those folks, there's going to come a time that they're going to worship at your feet. And I just wonder if that doesn't mean that they get saved, that they have a change of heart. And I'm confident that on some cases they will have a change of heart. I'm also confident on all cases, every knee will bow before the Lord Jesus Christ, either now or later. He says, I'm going to cause them to the synagogue of Satan to come and worship your feet. And I really pray that they're worshiping at my feet because they've gotten saved and they're putting their, their trust in Jesus. Not worshiping me, but worshiping around me and worshiping with me. Either way, every knee will bow. 
those that are the synagogue of Satan. He says, I'm going to give you victory. And I'm, they're going to know. They're going to know that I love you. They're going to know that I love you. I think it's so sweet. He says there again, he says, I'm going to help, I'm going to help you. The, verse, the Bible says, and we talk about verse number 10, that they'll not go to the tribulation. Verse number 11 is a great verse. The Bible says, behold, I come quickly. When you read that word quickly, uh, the word quickly means it could happen any moment. The word quickly does not necessarily mean it's going to happen in the next three days. And in this case, it's not going to ha- it may not happen in the next 3,000 years. But the word quickly means that the Lord's going to come suddenly. A moment when you don't expect him to. Quickly. He said, behold, I come quickly. He says, hold that fast which thou hast. He says, you keep holding on to that wonderful truth that you are little in strength. You keep holding on to that wonderful truth. The Bible's the word of God. You keep holding on to that wonderful truth. You keep holding on to that wonderful truth that my name, Jesus, is the one that matters. Their gain. Finally, the Bible says in verse 12, the scripture says this, verse 12, him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God. And he shall go no more out, and I will write upon him the name of my God. I'm going to pick it up here. I want you to see this. Verse 12. Him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God. Now, the Bible wants to see this picture of a strong pillar. There's some awesome things about the pillars. The pillars in the city of Philadelphia. The pillars in the city, they were strong and mighty. Philadelphia was a, was a city that was n- notorious for earthquakes. And no doubt there would come times when the earthquakes had come in the city of Philadelphia and and all that was left standing was the pillar. The something that's awesome about a pillar is, and it's something I love about it, there's so many things we can emphasize here, but for the sake of time, I want to share with you my favorite. The Lord says, yeah, I'm going to make you like a pillar. I'm going to make you like a pillar. You know something I think is awesome about a pillar? A pillar is supported by nothing but the foundation. Now that's something that I think is very important. God says, Church of Philadelphia... I'm going to make you to where you completely and wholly depend just on me, the foundation. You know what's sad? You run into people all the time. They don't go to church anymore because they got hurt. You know what happens? You get hurt and you get shaken when people mess up, when you make people your foundation. But the Lord said, I'm going to make you a pillar. I'm going to give you a foundation, one foundation, the only foundation that matters, Jesus. Let me tell you something. Jesus hasn't failed you. People will. I will. Church will. Jesus won't. And when you're a pillar, the Bible gives us this wonderful hope that we're going to put anchor ourselves in the foundation, which is Christ and Christ only. I don't know about you, but I want to be a pillar. I'm still at a place in my Christian life where people can shake me. But I really want to be a pillar, not cold to the concerns of people. I want to be a pillar that says, you know what? I'm going to be on a foundation that doesn't shake. I'm going to rest my case in the Lord Jesus. He's my foundation. He says, I'm going to make you a pillar. It continues, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Uh, Him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God. And he shall go no more out. That's a wonderful phrase there. No doubt there are times where they had to run out of the city because of the the, the great earthquakes. And he says, he says I'm going to make you so strong that you don't have to leave. You can stay put. 
He says, I will write upon him the name of my God, the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven from upon from my God, and I will write upon him my new name. So the Bible says, God's going to write on me his name. This is going to be our conclusion. I love this about the church of Philadelphia. The Bible says, I'm going to make you like a pillar standing on the foundation. He says, I'm also going to write on you my name. That's so fun. I remember as a teenager, one of the fads was the football players, when they got their jersey that had their name on it, the football players that had the jersey with their name on it, they would give it to their girlfriends to wear around. And uh, I had a football jersey, but I didn't have a girlfriend. So uh, that didn't happen to me. Uh, and <laughs> But... A lot of folks did, and it was kind of fun because you could put that, jer- you put that jersey on your girlfriend, your girlfriend would around proudly. You know why? Because she was wearing your name. Not my name, but some other. Ruth would wear a name. She took it. They wrote their name on it. It's like, she's mine. I'm his. That name. And that's a very silly illustration for a sweet thing. I'm really thankful that God loves me so much that he'll write on me his name. Child of the Most High God. Child of the Most High God. You can look at this verse and study it. It refers to the name of Jehovah God. And it talks about his, the next name, the Lord Jesus Christ. And then the Bible says, I'm going to write on me, write on him my new name. I don't know what the new name is. I don't know exactly what that's going to be. But it's going to be greater than I could ever imagine. He's going to write on me his name. And I can glory and revel and be excited about what God has in store for his people. May the Lord help us to be a church like the church at Philadelphia. They were a loving bunch of people, but they were a church with an open door. You know why? They preached the word of God. They didn't deny the name of Christ. They depended on the Lord for strength. And because of that, God says, I'm going to give you the opportunity to see me do an eternal work in the lives of other people. Oh, the Lord help us to be that kind of church. The church of Philadelphia. A church with an open door. Let's pray.